Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. It's Friday. It is off-season episode. I have no idea. We got a finals game. We got a team to break down. We're already into the middle of June somehow. Actually, you know what? Let's start the show by counting out where we're at. The regular season ended on April 10th. There were three off-season weeks of episodes in April. There were one, two, three, four, basically and a half in May. We'll call it seven. One in June. Now two in June. All right. Yeah, 45. Off-season episode 45. And look, here's the thing. Here's the beauty part of all of this. We've got uh, the draft in two weeks, which again, I don't. We, we really don't sort cover extensively on this podcast, or really almost not at all. But I, I vow to you, I will get someone on here that can just lecture to you, or at the very worst, I'll have someone on for like two minutes. That's like, hey, here's another pod where you can listen to all my stuff because we got some really smart people here at Sports Ethos. This, of course, Fantasy NBA Today Sports Ethos presentation. I'm Dan Bespris. Um the all-rookie pod, William Harris, does a fantastic job. Our Grizzlies guys are putting together some incredible draft coverage. Fantastic stuff. Stephen Bagel, host of the Bird Rights pod. Corbin Ford. And over at our main hub, they've got a rumor mill going. I think Stephen actually wrote the uh, the mock draft for the uh, the upcoming actual NBA draft, not not the fantasy draft. And then, like... A week and a half after that, it's free agency. So we are now one, two, three-ish, three and a half weeks away from kind of the upswing of the offseason, which times out pretty well because we have like two weeks left of team breakdowns, uh, give or take, because remember, we already did the Atlantic Division, but it's somewhere in that neck of the woods. And then we just segue, we float right on into player movement, which, I mean, outside of the trade deadline, probably the other most interesting fantasy day of the entire season. Ah, opening night is pretty good. Although, like, we kind of know what to expect. There's a couple things that jump out, and I'd love to say, like, your fantasy draft night, but we all do that on a different day, so hard to call that one day, really one more month and a half. So then we get through free agency in July. We reset a bunch of stuff, start to pick out the, the names we're, we're kind of eyeballing. August, you've got Summer League. And we've got actual coverage at that point. I mean, we're really, I think, we're more than halfway through the quiet part of the offseason. So we're getting there, folks. We're getting there. Let's talk NBA Finals for a minute. Steph Curry set to play with no restrictions after hurting his foot. Al Horford falling on him in Game 3 in Boston. I have to admit, I am concerned. Even if he's going to play through it, he's been the man for the Warriors. Celtics have had... They've really been kind of on and off in this series. They hit everything in Game 1. They missed everything in Game 2. Game 3, they were pretty damn good, and they just rebounded the crap out of the basketball. And i got to think the Warriors are cognizant of that fact. Raymond Green, in particular, was quite bad in Game 3, fouled out, and did very little. And then Kevon Looney only saw 17 minutes and tied for the team lead in rebounds, so he probably needs to see more time. Or someone's got to go do anything on the glass, which makes me think the Warriors actually do bounce back here in Game 4, mostly because 
Offensively, they've been very good in transition, not nearly as good in the half court, and that's to be expected. And then with Boston, they've been much better in the half court, but I do think some of that is small sample size-itis where they hit a crap ton of hard shots in game one and then just kind of made what you'd expect them to make, rounding most of the series out altogether. You got to keep them off the offensive glass, though. If the Warriors keep Boston from getting those second chance opportunities, this thing is should be a pretty tight ball game. The only thing that gives me pause there is Steph. Can Steph continue to be Steph, or is his foot actually worse than the Warriors are letting on? And for that reason, I probably like the under more than anything else. Last ball game ended at 216, super high scoring through the first like two and a half to three quarters, really started to slow down. And then the fourth was just a grinder, which is kind of nice because when you look at this, it went over. So, you know, total didn't get adjusted down. And we actually liked the over in that ball game. It seemed like it was going to have no trouble getting there. And then it just barely squeaked that way. But like, you know, possessions wise, it's a little bit lopsided. Celtics had 89 shots. 12 turnovers and 24 free throws. If we do our sort of typical fuzzy math thing, they had like 113 tries to the Warriors who had like 102, 103. A much, much, much smaller number. I think it was 101, 102 actually. Which puts you right in that 214 range. That's right where the total is. I just happen to think the defenses are better in game four. And even if they're not, I think the rebounding is better in Game 4. Game could go over if the Warriors get to the free throw line a little bit more. That's the way that this one kind of flips on his head. The fact that Steph only got one turnover is actually kind of kind of gross. He was getting grabbed and held, and there was a play where he was out on the break, and Al Horford just, like, reached out and armbarred him, and they didn't even call it. And I get it. I know it's the playoffs, but, you know, foul's a foul. So could Steph get to the free throw line if there's been lobbying, things like that? I just, I, I think the Warriors rebound better and so Boston's not going to get to 116 because they're just not going to have that many tries and get all those extra looks, which are often easier ones. So, anywho, that's where I'm at with the playoffs. I, sides, man, I, uh... Sides are tough. Sides are tough. I don't know if I've called a single side right in the final so far, and I think I've had every total right so far. So, yeah, that makes me 3-3, three and three, although you guys know me. I much prefer to bet on the totals anyway. Uh, and in this one, I like the under. I think it's creeping under. It's creeping. We're finally getting back on track with the, um, the, the team breakdowns. And before I do that, thank you once again to everybody that has checked out the, uh, our baseball and our football coverage. Football is coming along terrifically. Not to take anything away from baseball. I just know that on the writing side, all those guys are putting together an actual football package at Sports Ethos. And congrats to JP. Cleared the 200 follower mark yesterday. It's a grind, man. It's hard to work your way up from, uh, from zero, basically. And Joe up and over 900 follows on the baseball side. Very, very cool. Great work by those guys. Do check them out. Ethos Fantasy FB, Ethos Fantasy BB. Those, again, are the... Uh, football and baseball ethos feeds and you can get all the podcasts coming out plus soon within the next 45 days i think you'll have like real football stuff popping out on those channels as well in addition to just the podcast links all right 
Well, we've gone, we've we've done these things out of order so many damn times at this point, and it's time to finally start doing them in order. And it's because I was looking at the NBA standings page where they readjusted them based on which eight teams actually made the playoffs as opposed to which the actual order of wins and losses during the regular season. And I was too dumb to look at all of them. I mean, this is entirely on me. I'm a blame. I mean, it's weird the way they set it up. Yes, it's odd, but I should have seen it. Luckily, it's the offseason. You guys don't actually care what order I do these teams in. So for a while there, I was doing them in the same order as our guys over on the Fantasy Pass side, but they dropped uh, articles on the weekends. I ain't doing weekend shows in the dead of the offseason. Probably not doing them anytime, but, you know, maybe we do a few leading up to the start of the season like last year. That was a little dumb, too. I did a show every single day in October, but because of the way the calendar lined up, there were like two weekdays at the end of September and another two or three at the beginning of November. So instead of 31 shows in a row, it was actually like 35 or 36. That was a lot. That was a lot. Not here to complain, though. Love doing the show, but kind of want a day off after 31 in a row. But we had stuff to get out to you guys. Anyway, we have a choice today because there are actually two teams that sit on 46 wins. That's where we're at now after polishing off the Hawks. We already did the Cavs at 44. We did the Nets like a month ago when we started this process, did the Atlantic Division, then pivoted back away from it for a little bit. So we got a choice, the Bulls or the Wolves. The Bulls or the Wolves. Bulls or Wolves. It remains, by the way, very weird that those two teams are not in the same division. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Um, the distance between Minneapolis and Chicago is, I think, only like 350 miles. Well, I can look it up on air. Why, don't, why am I guessing? Uh, 400. It's 400 miles by road. And it's more like 350 as the crow flies. So, um, I mean, those are two of the closest NBA cities. And they're not in the same division. Meanwhile, uh, the Wolves are playing teams like OKC and Portland in particular. Now, I get it. Portland's just going to be out on an island because there aren't other teams up there, especially with the Sonics gone for a while now. Uh, But that's a little bit dumb. We need to do some realignment here. In any event, they're not. Uh, Timberwolves in the Western Conference, <laughs> Bulls are in the Eastern Conference. <laughs> oh, whatever. And at the end of it all, we have two really good teams to pick from. But I'm going to go Minnesota 
today because they were really fun this year. They made the playoffs. They had a nice little run. Um, they were a team that ended last year really well. And so my hope was that coming into this season, there people would have kind of forgotten about that. And um, people didn't, unfortunately. So uh, basically everything was a little bit more of a premium on the Wolves than it would have been had they not finished last year so well. Minnesota's uh, season win total was 34 and a half. Um, I thought it was going to be like 31. And so, you know, it made that one a tougher one. I did still take the over on my uh, season win total prediction. So that one ended up as a really easy win. But I thought that after a, a sort of a bad last year, they only won 23 games last season, 23. So to see that number at 34 and a half, that was huge. And I was un- unable to sort of pull the trigger on a on a bigger bet or make that one of my favorites. If that was like 31 and a half, 30 and a half, we probably would have gone big on the over. And instead we went very small as a lean and it hit by a lot. The Wolves were downright good for stretches this year. They weren't great. They weren't in the upper echelon of Western Conference teams. They were the top play-in team, but only two games back of the beat-up Nuggets, only three games back of the uh, tumbling Utah Jazz, who their coach resigned people. That is a weird sign out of Utah. Something foul is afoot in the Salt Lake region. We're talking about the Wolves today. The nice thing about the Wolves is that there isn't a whole lot set to change dramatically. The difference in kind of season over season with this team, when you look in even last year to this year, was the individual growth of Anthony Edwards, the addition of Patrick Beverly, which, you know, whatever, and overall health. And I would argue that health was probably the biggest part of the puzzle because after a couple of seasons of Cat dealing with stuff, COVID, wrist injury, I mean, he was, you want to talk about being mentally obliterated. He lost like a dozen family members to COVID, or a half dozen family members to COVID. That is brutal. That is absolutely brutal. Just like, just think about that. I have a small family. Um, I'm an only child. One of my parents has passed. Uh, we have two kids here. So like in the immediate sense, there aren't that many brothers or sisters or whatever. But like, just think about losing half of your loved ones. Would you be able to focus on traveling with a basketball team and practice it? Like, I don't think I could lift weights effectively. What do you think about when you're exercising? Some people blast loud music, fine, maybe you can distract yourself. Some people, you know, put on a TV show or something like that. But, like, if you're in between sets or if you're on a particularly long thing or if you're running on a treadmill, your mind's going to wander. And his was wandering to just awful, awful stuff for so long. But, look, he's working his way through it. Won the three-point contest. He's having some fun out there again. Played in 74. At 82 games this year. He's number eight on a per-game basis, so we're back in kind of traditional cat neighborhood, number three by totals. That's a beautiful thing. Anthony Edwards, young fella, 
showing that durability also. 72 out of 82 games. He was number 42 by averages, which is right about where he was getting drafted. And 30 by totals. Another head-to-head win. Then you get into kind of uh, some coin flippy territory because D'Angelo Russell was number 73 on a per-game basis, played in just a couple fewer than league average games played. So he was number 80 by totals. But that makes him a tough guy in head-to-head. And he has basically always had injury stuff. out, Beside from one season in Brooklyn, he's always missed some time. So I don't know how you go the D'Lo route in head-to-head unless you can get him at a really cheap price. And that, you know, same story for next year, because he's a guy that probably does less and less the more that Anthony Edwards does. Russell's the guy that suffers. Cat suffers a bit too. He needs usage. But Cat has other things that float his value in a way that Russell, it's usage. It's scoring and it's assists and it's three-pointers. Things that need the ball in his hand. Cat, yes, points, threes, that's important. Uh, field goal, free throw percent, all of that stuff is tied in some way to usage, but he also rebounds, 1.1 blocks, uh, steal, which is the same as D'Lo. So there's a way that he can kind of buffer himself a little bit better than Russell, who I would argue has one category he's good at that's not directly, and not in good, but one category he's okay at that's not tied, and that's the one steal a game. But points, threes, assists, free throw percent, I guess less usage helps because he's a bad field goal guy, but look, we've talked about it before. Usage is value. Does it tip all that much more? I don't know. Anthony Edwards was already leading the team in shot attempts per game this year at 17.3. Cat was a little bit higher in overall like attempts because of the 6.3 free throws. So it, it kind of evened out. Cat moved just in front of him. And then D'Angelo, of course, orchestrating a bit more with the seven assists. I don't know. Maybe it tips a little bit. Maybe the balance stays somewhat similar. But then the Wolves have to start asking themselves, what's the path to them getting to that next threshold? Because they were pretty damn good this year, and they pushed Memphis with a healthy jaw hard in the first round of the playoffs, but couldn't get over that hump. What are they losing this coming year? Not a whole lot. Torian Prince, kind of a veteran stretch four type of guy. He's off the books. Jake Lehman's off the books, but everybody else sticks. Cat's contract has two more years. D'Lo, this will be his final season. Malik Beasley has one and a team option if they want. Patrick Beverly has one more year. We've heard his name in trade rumors, so possibly there, but I, I don't know, man. I think the Wolves needed Pat Bev. I actually think he's responsible for at least three or four of those wins this season just by kind of changing the attitude on that team. Maybe more than that. Anthony Edwards obviously there for a while longer. Rookie deal. Then they'll sign him to whatever max amount of money they can give him. Jared Vanderbilt has a couple more seasons on his deal. That's a guy they're enjoying. Jade McDaniels, young guy. He's seeing action. So from a personnel standpoint, the Wolves don't change that much. From a fantasy standpoint, we have to make a couple of tough calls. Patrick Beverly's a tough call. He was number 103 this year per game in 58 ball games, 25.4 minutes per game, which, of course, also did include some games where he got hurt mid-ball game. That's the Pat Bev way. 
He's going to play himself into an injury somehow. And games where he came back from injury and his minutes were somewhat diminished. Not as much as like, oh, he played the first quarter and left after six minutes of basketball. He also has foul issues with the way he plays defense. And every year he'll get a little bit older and it'll be a little bit tougher for him to not pick up fouls when he's kind of dogging guys at that end of the floor. But 1.2 steals, 0.9 blocks out of your point guard, 4.5 assists, 4 rebounds out of your point guard. Not good percentages, but he doesn't really shoot, so, you know, that's kind of a big who cares. And he has a little bit of that Rocco profile out of the guard spot. Good defensive stats. Rebounds, those are out-of-position rebounds, basically. And he's always hovering right around that border, but he's going to play himself into injury so you can't touch him in head-to-head, which means, okay, let's say he stays put. What is he? Is he 25 and a half minutes a game this coming year, or does that number drop a little bit? Because if it does, that's trouble. Do they find a way to get him out there a little bit more this coming season? Because they were actually pretty healthy this year. Again, even D'Lo only missing 17 games was pretty good. Yeah, Beverly had a little extra opportunity there. He missed some of those games, by the way. And then Pat missed 24 on his own. So there you go. I don't know that you need to go out on a limb and draft Pat Bev in Roto, but he probably starts the year healthy, so maybe that's your shot. Say, all right, well, good. Like, let's get him off to a quick start, which didn't really happen this year, by the way. They didn't, I don't think they have the rotations perfectly set. It was like game five, where he started doing stuff. Game 5, he had 10, 10, and 8 with a block. And you're like, oh, well, maybe. Then he had a couple of quieter games, and there was an 11, 7, and 4 with a, a block. There was a 14, 6, and 7 with a steal and three blocks. Kind of took him like three weeks to figure out where he belonged. So let's say you wipe off the first two and a half weeks of the season. All right, Pat Bev probably inside the top 100 the rest of the way. What if you could figure out, and you can't, it's impossible, the game's... And there were like three or four of them this year, by the way, where Pat Bev played the first quarter and then left. Four games artificially depressing his overall value. If you even just turn those into missed games, he becomes a guy in the top 90, 85, 90 range. So there is a usefulness to that. Yeah, some of his value is in the low turnovers, but it's not an ungodly low number. It's not like he's at 0.6 and that's most of his value. He's at 1.3, so it's low, but fine. His value was in rebounds for a guard, some assists, steals, blocks, some threes. That's kind of where you're at with him. He's a guy who doesn't really move the ball forward, but as like a 10th, 11th guy on a roto team, he works. I don't think you'll have to draft him inside the top 100, nor would I. I would happily take him in the 12th round, though. Like, pick 140. Maybe he doesn't fall that far. 10th round, pick 120. Eh, I think I'd rather go for somebody with a little more upside built in. Probably 11th round or deeper for Pat Bev. What about Jared Vanderbilt, who got off to a great start this year and then just totally ran out of gas partway through the season and never really recovered? He was also just outside the top 100 when the year ended after coasting along at like 75 to 80 range for long stretches this year. Really, basically until like 
close to the All-Star break, a little bit before that, late January, early February, he was racking up offensive rebounds in particular, big-time numbers, and then it just went. He just just vanished. The steals and blocks went down. The rebounds went down. He had a stretch where he didn't hit double-digit rebounds between February 25th and March 21st, basically a full month after early in the season. I mean, if you look at November, he had double-digit rebounds in eight out of nine ball games in there. It wasn't like another big man was in or out. He still had the job. It just He just wasn't doing anything with it. But you've got to think he gets a little bit better. Still a super young guy, not like right out of high school kind of young, but still young enough to improve. And maybe it's just about having the motor to make it through a full season. Now, by totals, he actually ended up as a pretty good fantasy play because he, he logged 74 out of 82 ball games, and that's a good sign. But Jaden McDaniels is going to be breathing down his neck. Torian Prince took a lot of his minutes late this year. I know he's no longer... On the team, his contract expired, so maybe that helps Vanderbilt a little bit. But he's another guy where, you know, maybe there's a little bit of upside there if he gets a little better, takes six shots instead of five this coming season, and then you're looking at, you know, eight and a half points instead of seven, eight and a half, eight and a half, and around two defensive stats with good field goal percent. That's fine. I mean, we're still talking about, like, an 85 to 95 range guy, which is a lower upside play. Probably makes more sense actually on the head-to-head side because he did show nice durability and he gives you boards and field goal percents and steal and things like that that you can just sort of accrue even if he goes through a restless slump of some kind. But if you get to the very late stages of your roto draft and you're like, ah, crap, my field goal percent is trash, Vanderbilt would make sense, kind of in that same range as Pat Bev, 120 to 140, but I wouldn't go much higher. Cat's a mid-first-rounder, no question about that. He's re-solidified himself. I have no problem trusting him there. Anthony Edwards will probably go late third this coming season. Um, and the way that he gets to that spot on a per-game basis is most likely fixing free throws. That needs to become a positive for him instead of a kind of net neutral because he's going to get to the line four times. And if you can create a positive impact by that, like D'Lo, just get to that. Get to 82% instead of 79. Then he goes from mid-fourth to late third. So not a big jump required there for Anthony Edwards. And you could see it. Dude just going to get better year over year over year. Incredibly athletic. His shot is coming around. Took a ton of three-pointers this year. Maybe you don't have to take that many threes. But whatever. If you're hitting three threes and you're still shooting 44%, that's not that awful. It's not, I mean, I get it. Cat hit two threes at 53% from the field, but we can't all do that. Because he's going to get a whole bunch of layups, gimmies, you know, seven-footer. So uh, I have no problem with where Cat's going to get drafted next year. We can pretty much guarantee Anthony Edwards. We can almost guarantee where he's going to go next year. I don't really have a huge problem with it. You're going to need the durability again, probably, to clear his ADP, but you'll probably get really close to it without anything weird happening. And then D'Lo is your little bit more of a flyer pick. He always gets overdrafted because he gets assists. He probably goes, if I had to guess, in the 50 to 75 range. And I don't think he gets 
above where he was this last year. 18 and 7 is actually a pretty good number for him. The way that he gets back up a little bit, steals. Because we've seen him have some decent steals games, years, whatever you want to call it. Like, there have been stretches, 1.4 after getting traded to Minnesota a couple years ago. He had 1.4 with the Lakers early in his career, 1.2 with Brooklyn. Steals where D'Lo have bounced around a little bit. Career mark is 1.1 in 29 minutes per game, and this year he was at 1 in 32 minutes per game. So hopefully, if he sees 32 minutes again, he'd be up at 1.2. So that's how he gets a little bit farther up the board. The other stuff, you know, free throws, career number is 78. That could very easily come back down from 82. The assists were high this last season. There was a lot to like about D'Lo's year. So I don't I don't look at him as a guy that's about to get better season over season and probably a guy who gets overdrafted because he's hurt, because he gets assists. He's a roto pick around 75 if you can get him there. Have a delightful weekend, everybody. Monday is the next finals game after this one, so uh, we don't have to try to look ahead to the next one in Golden State. We can just talk about that. On off-season episode number 46, first thing next week, I am Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Day, a Sports Ethos presentation. Hey, holler at me if you want to come work with us here at Sports Ethos. We are recruiting for all three major sports, baseball, basketball, and football. We've got things to do on all fronts, potting, videoing, writing, whatever you got in your tank. Let us be the spot to help jumpstart you. At Dan Vespers on Twitter, that's where you can reach me, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Thanks again for listening all off-season long, everybody. It means a ton. I still can't believe that our listenership is this good in days where there are no fantasy games, and I love you for it. Talk to you guys on Monday. So long. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.